Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Welcome to today's program. We've got a program, really solid program. We've got a couple of questions. Sam has come back with his question. He now wants to know, he asked us last week about cryptocurrency and the problems with what was going on in the media, the news. Now he's come back and said, hey, what about cryptocurrency exchange? He wants to understand that. We're going to explain that to him. And Alan has asked us about student loans and or is the debt, if you forgive the debt, does that debt go against your taxes? Is that income? Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan are going to go through those issues with us. And, uh, of course, they're smart people. And they're also going to talk about behavioral biases and some fundamentals. Scott's going to dive into some fundamentals that we always need to keep reminding ourselves, especially when you look at the market and what it's doing. But first, we're very privileged to have Dr. Larry Lloyd, founder of Memphis Leadership Foundation. He's going to give us an update on the Memphis Leadership Foundation and what's going on in Memphis, the Memphis community and how the Leadership Foundation is having a great impact. Dr. Lloyd, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, it's good to be with you, Jim, as always. Well, I so much appreciate you joining us because the Leadership Foundation, you have been involved with the Leadership Foundation, I guess, from the beginning here in Memphis. Am That's I right. correct? 1987 is when we actually opened opened our doors. 1987. I was about, I must have been about, uh, well, never mind. I won't say that. 21 years old. No, not even that. But 1987. So now let me ask you, if I said Memphis Leadership Foundation and you wanted to say what that actually means to Memphis, I mean, it's, it's a plethora of things that you've done. I mean, many, many just energetic ministries have come from your leadership and your help to birth some of these ministries. That's what I see as your legacy and what's going on. So give us some of those ideas of what's actually come out of the Leadership Foundation. Yeah, so when I started this, I had spent 12 years with an organization called Young Life, uh, started uh, Urban Young Life at Melrose High School in 1975, spent six years uh, in Los Angeles, uh, in the greater Los Angeles area, doing some doctoral studies, as well as working with Young Life. And it was a great organization, but when you begin to work with urban young people with the issues, you know, crack cocaine hit the streets in L.A. in 1980, hit the streets in Memphis in about 1987, 88. Well, if, if you're going to work with young people in, uh, in terms of evangelism and discipleship, you're also going to work with the court system, parents that don't have a job, affordable housing, all these, all the systems at play, that plague so many inner city communities. And so the Leadership Foundation movement, which actually began in Pittsburgh in 1978, we were the fifth one to get started, Pittsburgh, Chicago, uh, Phoenix, and Philadelphia, then Memphis. Uh, we take a whole a system systems view of the city, the whole city, not just a neighborhood, not just a particular demographic. So it, uh, our theme back in those days came from Jeremiah chapter 29 of seeking the peace and welfare of the city into, in which I've sent you into exile because in its peace you'll find your peace. So the idea was to love the whole city and love it well in the name of, of Christ. 
So we do basically three things. Uh, we, when I came back to Memphis uh, in 1987, there were already people uh, on the ground doing great work. I remember when uh, Chuck Colson started Prison Fellowship. He came to Memphis. One of uh, one of his board members was in Memphis and held a small little gathering uh, at his house. And I was asked to come and sort of lead some worship music, you know. And I remember uh, Chuck saying this, in every city, God has his little platoons doing great work that are under-resourced. Nobody knows who they are. So I began to look for those little platoons. And I found it in Ken Bennett, who started Streets. And I found it in Carolyn Bibbs, who started Creative Life. And on and on, there were these folks doing great work with no board, no 501c3 status, no money, but with passion to really love their community and and love people. And so we started creating new initiatives. We've created about 30 uh, 30 nonprofits, Streets, MAM, Christ Community Health Services. We were the fiduciary agent or they were programs of ours. Currently, it's Restore Corps, which is intervening in human trafficking. Uh, hundreds of young people, particularly uh, young people in the city of Memphis. We, we think of human trafficking as being something overseas. No, no, it's right here in Memphis. And, uh, and so we intervene. Hum- actually, we're the uh, Restore Corps, which is our human trafficking program. Uh, we're the uh, uh, point of contact for the FBI in West Tennessee. Uh, economic opportunities where we help ex-offenders get n- not just jobs, but actually goals in life, housing, all the things that make them now productive citizens, to youth evangelism, to sports as ministry. Uh, so we created all these new initiatives, but it was already somebody doing that. Uh, the second thing we do is we build the capacity of these leaders. We provide back office support. We, uh, we are right now offering back office support to nonprofits in the city of Memphis, usually small nonprofits, don't have a CFO, uh, don't know what a balance sheet is. Uh, you know, how do you get health insurance? So we provide all those services. And right now, every every other week, we're doing payroll for about 500 uh, individuals. Different Different ministries. nonprofits, yes. And then uh, the third thing we do, not only build the capacity, create new initiatives, but because uh, we see the whole city, it takes a whole city to, to, for the city to work well. So we work with people of different faiths, people of Christian faith, people of no faith if they have goodwill. So we work with city government. We work with business community. We work with other faiths. We work with multiple denominations. We're, we're, not, uh, we're not in any, any way sectarian. We are explicitly Christian but we work across the spectrum because you're going to love a city well. For instance, our leadership foundation in Delhi. Well, only 1% of the population in Delhi is Christian. So if you're going to work for the welfare of Delhi, you're going to work with the government. You're going to work with people, the Hindu government, the Hindus, as well as the Christians and the churches. So, uh, those are the three things we've been doing in Memphis since 1987. You know, if you just tuned in, I'm talking to Dr. Larry Lloyd, the founder of the Memphis Leadership Foundation here in the city. Larry, what you're really saying is the you're being salt in the city, which we're commanded to be salt in the city. Yes, salt uh, gives flavor. Right. And it also preserves. I remember hearing one time the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that, you know, was destroyed and uh, how the angels of the Lord came down to Abraham in, in Genesis, and uh, Abraham begins to strike a bargain. He said, wait, if there's, 100, if there's 100 righteous people, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And the angel says, no, I wouldn't do that. It right. goes all the way down to 10. So if there are 10 people there, would you destroy 10 righteous? 
And the angel says, no. And what, you, what, what we often read in that story is the brimstone and fire. What we don't get is that it, had there been 10 righteous people, the place would have been preserved. Christians preserve places. And that's really an important uh, thing for us to recall in that passage. So, yes, yeah, salt is a preserver. Uh, God's people, not just, uh, you know, not, not, not just uh, are there on church on Sunday, but we're actually in the workplace, in government, in business, in, in order to be preservers. And the community, that's so, so critical. Memphis Leadership Foundation, of course, that's Dr. Larry Lloyd. He is the founder. Larry, when we talk about this, uh, the reality, and I guess the thought being is it belongs, MLF, Memphis Leadership Foundation, it belongs to a global association called Leadership Foundations. Correct. Mm -hmm. And you're currently the president. Yeah, in April, I was asked to take over as the third president of our global association. There's 50 leadership foundations across the world. Uh, just like Memphis, uh, in some of the, the, the world's largest cities, like Delhi, 25 million people, uh, Pretoria, South Africa, Los Angeles, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, and then medium-sized cities like Memphis, but then small cities like Chattanooga, Knoxville, Billings, Montana, doing incredible work in Billings, Montana, among Native American population, Seattle, uh, Washington. So we're across the globe, uh, India, Africa, uh, we're going to start one in Armenia. It'll be our first one in, in Europe. Um, and uh, t- uh, Bangkok, uh, as well as Latin America. We have a growing popu- growing leadership foundations in Guatemala City, Managua, Nicaragua, as well as San Salvador and Dominican Republic and Haiti. So when I, when I think about this global network of people, this, this enormous work, I mean, it's a calling, obviously. Now, you have a new role. So now let me ask you this question because I want our listeners, you know, we feature ministries in this city that are having an impact on our city. I I am very interested in our city, as you are, and we always want to, I think, showcase people that are having an impact. Now, Larry has moved to the global side of it, but Larry, somebody has got a new role. Who has now got that particular chair that you've occupied for so long? Yeah, so Anthony Branch uh, was my COO, who's now stepped in the chair at the board's uh, appointment as CEO in May. Uh, Anthony is uh, a graduate of Howard University, has an MBA, and uh, is an AME-ordained pastor as well. And he's doing a f- fabulous job uh, taking my place. Now, I'm still in Memphis. We have a, our, glo- our office is virtual. I have staff in South Africa, Seattle. My CFO is in Des Moines, Iowa, someone in North Carolina. So we're, the pandemic, <laughs> we were already virtual. Virtual, yeah. So I don't have to move. I'm not moving from my city. Uh, our headquarters is actually in Tacoma, Washington, where I'll be heading next week uh, for some meetings. So uh, uh, Anthony's doing a fabulous job. He's uh, far more gifted than I am. So ML has got a great future ahead. Uh, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. What is the future for MLF in Memphis? Well, you know, one of the things we discovered, it was about four or five years ago, uh, we, we, we would create a new initiative and then we would spin it off to a nonprofit like Memphis Athletic Ministries or Streets or whatever. And we would do the back office support. And then we realized, you know, this is something we do well. Uh, we have very, very good uh, accounting uh, 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 structure. So why don't we uh, allow, uh, you know, offer that to other nonprofits? And so that began to sort of uh, steamroll. 
And so now there are 19 nonprofits. And so one of our biggest growth areas is what I, this is building the capacity. You know, it, it's, uh, we, we can lower the overhead of all these nonprofits to like 5 or 6% uh, because we can provide these offices at scale. So that's one of the things we're really trying to grow. It looks like we'll be spending Restore Core off to a nonprofit this summer. Uh, Rachel Haga is the director, and, and uh, while it's the worst side of humanity in terms of human trafficking, what she is doing in her staff is absolutely incredible in terms of the healing. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like. She doesn't. She doesn't call it rescuing uh, victims. It's empowering victims. Uh, and these are victims. Uh, typically, the young ladies that are being trafficked have been abused. Uh, uh, they come out of foster care. Uh, or they uh, have traumatic issues in their life. And so they become very vulnerable to trafficking. Um, most of the trafficking is young women. Um, and the youngest, I think, has been 12 years old. Mm. Uh, but, uh, and then there's some other organizations here in Memphis that, also, that we work with that do uh, human trafficking intervention as well as uh, intervention with women caught up in the sex business, like strippers and so forth. And so we, there, there's a sort of a whole safety net, if, uh, if you will, approach to this. The next biggest thing we're, we're uh, going to exp- uh, hope to explode is our economic opportunities uh, program. Matter of, matter of fact, maybe have make Kayusi on your program. He runs that program called Economic Opportunities. Uh, we've hit on a new strategy called the Shepherd Strategy, where we have life coaches for these men and women that are coming out of incarceration uh, over a six-month period. Not only do they have a full-time job at, at a living wage of 15 or more dollars an hour, but they set life goals over a six-month period that they're held accountable to. They set their own goals, but then the life coach helps them achieve those goals so that at the end of six months, they can get their own job uh, and housing and all that goes with uh, becoming a stable individual and a family. Well, that's something I would definitely like to talk about. If you always tune in, you know that we're going to feature someone that is actually having an impact in our city. Larry Lloyd, Dr. Larry Lloyd, Memphis Leadership Foundation. If you want to give money to a ministry that is having an impact, this is definitely one. If you're looking for somebody to come alongside and have an impact financially, this is one. The telephone number, if you'd like to reach out to Dr. Lloyd and the Late Leadership Foundation, 901-729-2931. 901-729-2931. Larry, in summary, what would you like for our listeners to understand about the need and about Memphis Leadership Foundation? Well, a summary is we need to love our city. Uh, c- cities figure very heavily in God's plan for uh, humankind. Cities are not new. There's over 110 cities mentioned in the scriptures, over 1,200 references. Uh, and I always say, you know, life started in a garden, but we end in a city called the Jerusalem. And so cities are means of God's common grace. I mean, think of St. Jude. Uh, from all of, People all over the world know about St. Jude. Well, hospitals don't exist except in cities. Educational institutions, the arts, Christianity, uh, if you look at the Apostle Paul, he was an urban missiologist. He planted, city, he planted the gospel in cities and on trade routes because he knew that if you did that, cities are amplifiers, not only of culture. Think of rap, hip-hop, New York City, Los no Angeles. But then think of the arts and think of business. New York City is, a, you know, the economic capital of the world. Or Barcelona would be the economic capital perhaps in Europe. So cities are amplifiers 
and God has a, a plan for cities. They are means of God's common grace. Not something to be avoided, not something to leave, but something to love and cherish. Oh, well said. Well said, my friend. I, I so much appreciate you, the ministry. I've had the opportunity of knowing this guy for a long time. I, uh, don't, I totally, fully, completely trust his judgment as he moves in and moves around people who are excited and called to do something for the Lord in our city and for our community. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you being here, man. Thank you. 901-729-2931. If you'd talk, like to talk to Dr. Lloyd, feel free to do that. I want to go to Steve Anderson and Scott Jordan. Guys, you... Um, I like to bring the brains in. And, you know, Dr. Lord was obviously one of the brains. The brains are leaving. Okay. He's, <laughs> he's definitely the brain. But uh, I'd like to phone a friend on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got you. But here's the thought for you. I want to talk about, Steve, I want to just dive in because we've just got a few minutes here before we take the break. But we talked about biases and uh I mean, behavior biases, it's that reality that the media can get us all worked up or we make decisions sometimes letting that happen. So both you and Scott, I kind of want to dive in and talk about that. And the first one, I really know that you talk a lot about this called loss aversion. Yeah. So, well, and, and just to clarify, so when we say biases, what, what we're really talking about is traditional finance is based on this idea that we're all rational. <laughs> which sounds like a reasonable assumption well, until you look around, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, we won't go there. <laughs> that's right. So these, these biases, these aren't, it's not like a sin to have a bias. I mean, they're just, they're just in us. It's a natural thing. And this loss aversion is kind of the mother of, of these, uh, of these different biases. And it's this idea that typically we respond to losses much more dramatically than we respond to gains. So in other words, losses hurt more than gains help as it relates to the way we behave and we react. And if you look out in the market, right, this is a great time to be talking about this because right now the market's down. It's not that abnormal for the market to be down and it's not even down that abnormal an amount, but it just has this feeling of being huge, right? And it feels like, oh, there's a million things going on and, and it's like, oh, but that is exactly what this this loss aversion is about. We were we're reacting to that negativity more than responding positively, like back in the year of COVID when the market was way up. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Scott. You do this a lot. You say this a lot, and and using that thought, the, when we read the headlines, uh, what are some of the headlines thoughts you got? I, I'm telling you, if you if you just just go search it just for fun, some of the headlines you see out there, or the YouTube videos that are out there, you know, it's like you know the biggest crash ever is coming in three months. Yep. It's bound to happen, and you know they'll oh, usually you quote just some famous the, the markets the market it crashes today and it's down 10 points. Yeah, it right? always it's, plunges, crashes, <laughs> you know, there's never, it never is just down a little no, bit. It's, no, no. It's, it's, it's always But it's these what creates some of what Steve's talking about, that angst that's there, that stress, and it's a bias. And I guess I want a little bit more explanation because when I talk about the idea behind loss aversion, I want our listeners to understand what that means. So, now, here's where we are. We're going to answer questions that you've sent us. Alan, 
We're going to get to that question about, you know, what about a loan? If your student loan is going to be forgiven, that's been in the media here recently. Do I have to pay taxes on that loan if it's being forgiven? We're going to answer that question. And we're going to dive into Sam's question that he he actually, this is his second question. So Sam's a faithful listener, the idea behind cryptocurrency exchanges. What does that mean? How does that play into what's been going on? And why is that important to us? Now, we're going to do biases. Steve, we're going to do some fundamentals with Scott on investing. You don't want to miss that part. It's critical. And just so just understand, we're going to lead you through how to avoid the biases. So that's coming up when we get back. I want to remind you, if you would like to listen to the podcast, you can simply to just tune into any podcast that you can do, Spotify or uh Spotify or Apple. I'm trying to remember that one all of a sudden. And just simply type in Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and you can listen to the podcast or ask us a question. Type in JIM to the text line at 683-0989. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Neither asset allocation nor diversification guarantee against loss. They are methods used to manage risk. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. The S&P 500 is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Larry Lloyd or Memphis Leadership Foundation. The views and opinions expressed are those of Larry Lloyd only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest, Steve Anderson and Scott Jordan. We're talking about behavior biases. Now, the, well, there's several, and we're going to dive into several this morning for you to give you some insight into kind of what emotions do, but why they are. There are biases, and as Steve told us very clearly, we can get all stressed out because of biases, and so we want to delve that into you and help him understand that. And then Scott's going to give us some fundamentals or things that we need to remember. They kind of go like glove in hand when they talk about biases and these fundamentals, how to make Manage through this last couple of weeks of the year and all of 2023. If you're going to talk to these guys, let me give you the telephone number, 901-757-5757. If you'd like to give them a call, ask them a question, I want you to feel free to do that. Steve, reality is loss aversion. I, I, you said that was kind of the mother of all aversion, I mean, all biases. And the reality is bad news sales. That's right. I mean, it, it. this is just in us. Now, the the two guys that really got this field of behavioral finance off and running are guys named um, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. And they wrote a book 
It's long and tedious, but it is really good. It's a good book. It, yeah, it's a it's good book. It's long and tedious. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, called, it's called Thinking Fast and Slow, and it really is good. But they give an example of loss and ver- aversion in there that I think really drives home what this is. So they, they gave a, a, a number of participants an opportunity to, partici- to participate in a, toin- a coin toss. All right. And so they said, you know, we'll give you, uh, we'll give you $150 if you call it correctly, and you pay us 100 if you get it wrong. And they gave that out to a bunch of people. I forget how many. And most people rejected that. Now, think about that. The odds are in your favor, right? <laughs> but they had to get up to $200 on the win in order to bait these people on average into this. And that's a great example. So, it's, it's $100 loss potential for a $200 gain. That's what it took to get people to participate. And that's really a great example of the, the pain of losing the 100 is just more powerful than the gain until the gain gets big enough. And it was basically proved to be about twice as big before you get people involved. Well, you know, we're motivated, extremely motivated not to lose money. Bottom line. Yep. That's, that's the whole deal. So actually, that's probably makes bigger decisions that way more than anything else that we make. We may have all kind of data, but we're it, our nature is motivated not to lose money. We, we rather have high returns with... Um, no risk. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and what's funny is you think about that example and it really cues up another behavioral bias that's so simple and it's really easy to describe. It's called mental accounting. <laughs> so let's say you win that bet. Here's what people do. They separate that 200 bucks. They say, well, I had 100 in this bet, so that's mine. But I'll gamble the heck out of this other 100 bucks. I mean, that's free money. That's still your money, right? So we, we separate our money around in these different buckets and everything, and they call that mental accounting. But these behavioral biases, they're just everywhere. And it's funny because we all get trapped in them. Yeah, that's the problem. I think I want you to know that when we talk about, when Steve's talking about behavior biases, they are real. And you can make decisions, bad decisions sometimes, because of that bias. And the first one we've talked about is the most common loss aversion. Let's take a break from from biases. I want to come back to that. But let's talk about the question that Alan had. And, and Scott, this is, a, I think, a great question, especially since it's been in the news this week, is if Mr. Biden, who's pushed, you know, extended the debt repayment plan, if you're given your loan, that is your student loan, is forgiven, is that a income cost to you because a debt that's forgiven by anybody else is always an income. But in this case, is your student loan going to create income for the person that's being forgiven? Well, currently, and a lot of this is in flux, and we don't know if this is eventually going to happen or not, but on the federal level, they are going to be waiving any income taxes that would normally be due. So for the loan forgiveness, you will not owe any federal income taxes. But interestingly, there are several states out there that have said they're actually not going to waive the the forgiveness provision. And so that kind of leaves that in there. So you got to really look at your home state where you're located and see how they are going to be planning on treating the loan forgiveness to see if it's going to be a taxable event. Do you for think you. the government could say that today, come back? I mean, I've actually had this question asked, come back and change that because of the pushback on a lot of people have because of that? I, I, 
That'd and this be a is big this is an opinion. I don't think so. Yeah. And, and I think the the general idea is for a lot of these people that they're forgiving the loans for, they just flat out wouldn't have the money to pay the taxes. Right. So it, it would be an undue burden on them. So I think we have to first of all see, hey, is this actually going to make it through? There's several challenges to it now, so we don't know if this is going to get pushed through or not. Uh, but you know, I don't see them coming back around and making that federally taxable. But like I said, several states have stood up and said they're not planning on waiving it. Exactly. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, they may they may change their opinion on that as well. Yeah, well, that's a good answer to Eric's question. And I think it's a question a lot of people are asking today. So uh, thanks, Eric, for sending it to us. Remind you, if you have questions, type them, type them to Jim, J-I-M, to the text line, 901-683-0989, 901-683-0989, or send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And we'll definitely get your questions on the air. We do have another one from Sam, but we'll get that to you in just a minute. Let's go back to number two or number three biases, Steve. I mean, I like this one because I think a lot of people struggle. I'm going to throw it out, narrow framing. That sounds so good. Yeah, and... and I think this one's less well named because yeah. it's hard. You have to explain this one, but then you go, "Oh yeah, I do this." But narrow framing—it's perfect for this time of the year as well. We just came out of political season, and the easiest way to describe this is to describe an incident. So, if if you were a Republican going into the election cycle that we just came out of, you were fired up probably. I mean, they were fired up going in and, and thinking, oh, man, right after we, we win all the majorities, we're going to be in great shape. And if you were a Democrat, you were probably thinking, oh, all our advantages that we had are going to be, you know. And, and so narrow framing is, is, is that. It's taking um, all of the information out there and getting focused on a narrow set of that information and assuming that set is the only set of information that actually matters. And well, so, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, it's like looking through a microscopic lens at a huge problem. Well, the, the, uh, what I've always thought about it, when you think about it after having read the book and the reality, they explain it really well, but the, the idea behind just looking at current events. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't think about history. Forget that there's a historical data that's enormous back there. And, of course, we don't say past performance is an indication of future performance, but the reality is, We've been through this before, but I don't even think about that history. I'm only going to look, as you said, through the lens and just let it be the crosshairs of what's happening right now. That's so tough. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's to be fair. That's why we talk about this as being so human and so natural and it's in us. But I mean, we got we got uh, political things going on. We have inflation going on. We have potential of recession. We got all sorts of headlines like Scott talked about the world's ending and the world's falling apart and all this stuff. We got crypto currency stuff going on. We got China, Taiwan. I mean, there's just this stuff everywhere. If, if you're trying to find something to worry about, it's just not hard to find <laughs> no, it to no worry shortage. about. Yeah, I mean, it's just no. no shortage. So it's natural that we would we would do this. You know, when you think about it, it's just, just the fact that we now have media that's at us 24-7. It's coming to us like a, you know, you're just like a, trying to drink from a fire hose, which is not mm-hmm. easy to do. I've never done that before, by the way. I've heard yeah. that a lot. Anybody <laughs> it's ever one of those things that gets thrown around. Like, <laughs> who, who would try to drink from a fire hose? <laughs> right. <Sort of> <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, I mean, it's kind of like so much coming at us, and we just look at it, as you say, in that narrow-framed mindset mm-hmm. and make decisions based on that. It's a bad day. I'm going to change what I'm doing. And that's yeah. what we need to be careful with, and that bias can create all kind of problems. How about the hindsight bias? I mean, that's uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of the other side of that, where I'm looking only backwards. Yeah, and I feel like I've said this about each of these biases, but... 
This is a great time to talk about this one, too, because <laughs> the hindsight bias is actually more aptly named. It, it seems obvious. It's it's this idea that we, sh- we feel like we should have been able to know what was going to happen. Like, looking back at COVID now, we should have been able to know that, okay, we were going to get through this, wear some masks for a little while and get through this thing. But... That's not really fair, because when we were all locked up in our basements in April of 2020, it was a really scary time. Um, and so it, 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 we, we tend to look backwards and assume things were more knowable than they are. And likewise, we should remember that looking forward, things are no more nor- knowable <laughs> than they were then, you know? And so that's that hindsight bias. And so what we tend to do is we look back and we go, oh, we should have known. And then we look forward and, and we think we know more than we do. And it's just this vicious cycle. Well, I, I, I thought of you know clients that have come in and said, well, I, I want to buy this particular whatever, mutual fund stock or whatever. Yeah. And you ask them why. Oh, look what it did last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then, of course, we have data that comes in and look at what, what the big performers were last year. A lot of times the next year are the bottom performers. It just It's a swing. And so, but people make the decision based on looking in the rearview mirror backwards. And, and so much of forecasting is is done from this perspective. You know, oh, people absolutely. are looking back and they're extrapolating what has happened recently or what has, what has just happened. And they're trying to project that into the future. And, and some of that's okay. I mean, it can be a guide, but there's so many things that can happen along the way that can change that picture that makes forecasting really tough. And, you know, you think about just doing it for one year is one thing, but you've got things that are forecast over the last five years. And you think, well, hey, this is what's been going on for five years. It's going to continue. And that's what you have to be so careful with. Of course, we always say past performance is not an indication of future performance. That's yeah. important. Yeah. And, and and that hindsight bias leads to one of the fundamentals we may we may touch on this, but this this um, this following the herd. You know, like you start yeah. to see everybody doing one thing. We all want to do that thing. And and it, and, and it's so funny because a lot of these swings that we see in the market are not explainable with, with, if you're using a rational behavior paradigm. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's now. completely irrational, some of the things that we see. Oh, not using a rational paradigm. That, that's <laughs> well, so much of the market swings have more to do with investor psychology than actual long-term fundamentals. Well, we saw that yeah. with Mr. Prospect. Trump with Twitter. We, we would talk Twitter. about that tweet. It was Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> when he would tweet. <laughs> I'm sorry, that one was too good to <laughs> Well, just insert your famous person they start well, tweeting okay. and you know whoever, it's like wow whoever was tweeting but when he would tweet you'd see the market move yeah right. i mean Absolutely. that was really we kind of that was kind of fascinating doing it then that wouldn't go crazy but you could see the impact of a tweet that he would do twitter it, it was okay, pretty amazing was i mean you could see a one percent move in a day just based off of something he said, said that was yeah pretty, it, pretty powerful it was strong so the reality is again we have a tendency to do that now we're talking with scott jordan and steve anderson we're talking about behavior biases and i i I want to talk about anchoring but i want to come back and do that to me anchoring is so critical in this whole realm of things about buying loss aversion is yes very important you talk about narrow framing you talk about hindsight but for this idea of anchoring so stay with us we're going to talk about that in a second but i want to go to this question and sam was very adamant that he says i appreciated your answer last week and we only got into it just a little bit at the end of the show, and he was so nice for that. But he said, okay, explain to me what is cryptocurrency exchange? Because he, he, I think he was getting into it, and I, and I appreciate his question. So we want to answer that for him today. 
Well, and I think, and we talked about this a little, I think with everything going on in the news surrounding cryptocurrencies, it's important to distinguish the actual cryptocurrencies from what's going on here, which is really the collapse and mismanagement of an exchange. And I think, Steve, you had a good definition of an exchange earlier. Yeah, I mean, so an exchange, really, in simple form, it's just you got a buyer of something and a seller of something. They don't know who each other are. So an exchange is the intermediary. It's it's the it's the in this situation. Or I mean, it's the it's the intermediary that's some kind of electronic desk or a group of people. You used to see on the New York Stock Exchange, you see people running around and you know <laughs> selling <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, and and that's, that's the exchange. That was yeah. an exchange. So someone's got a buyer. There's some seller out there looking, and the exchange just matches the two. So that's yeah. To Scott, to your to your point, that's what we're talking about is the the intermediary that's matching a buyer and seller. So, guys, I think, Sam, just reading a little bit between the lines here, and again, I want to answer his question, is his concern, how did what happened happen? Well, I think that, you know, uh, the the short answer of that is I don't think regulation has caught up with the cryptocurrency world. And I think they were operating in an unregulated environment with not a lot of uh, protocols in place to manage risk and manage human behavior, which, you know, humans tend to lean toward greed if left alone. So (laughs) I think think? this is a matter of somebody kind of helping themselves to customer deposits and using them for, you know, other business entities that they were involved in. And and I think the way a lot of these things probably start is, you know, it was probably well-meaning with some trades that went wrong and they thought, well, if we can just do this, we'll get back to even and give everybody their money back and everything will be okay. And that, that went sideways. I have a quick. question about that, but Steve, you got a thought on yeah, that? Yeah. And, and so I, I want to make sure, because if you read between the lines and of course, we have a static question. We can't bounce <laughs> right, back right. and, and try to get I can't clarity. Go back and ask yeah. him, right. right, right. And so it's also, I think, important to to follow up on what Scott's saying. The difference between like the banking system yeah. and what we're talking about a cryptocurrency exchange. You know, coming out of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, one of the big steps forward that has has really made the banking system so robust is the reserve requirements that banks are required to keep. That's, you know, that's uh, the Dodd-Frank bill. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Because when Scott deposits money and the bank doesn't keep Scott's money in a vault, they loan it to Billy, right? And then and so that money's gone, but now they're required to keep such amount, an amount, so that when Scott comes to ask for his money back, they can always meet that. Well, these cryptocurrencies, like he, like Scott said, they they haven't figured out how to regulate these yet. And so and, and these exchanges and everything. So when all these people started asking for the money. It had been sent out somewhere else. And it was, in this case, it's starting to look like it was kind of nefarious where it was loaned out and everything. Mm-hmm. But but the point is, there was no requirement for these reserves to be held. So I, I really want to emphasize, there's a big difference between what's happening in this news and this headline and the banking system, which is a totally separate thing. And this those two completely disconnected things. That's a great point. I think that's important for Sam to get that and all of our listeners to understand there are two complete separate. Because a lot of people have asked the question, as we think about this, now that you put that together, will this affect yeah. the banking system? Is this a, is this the beginning of the iceberg effect? Yeah. Is, it gonna, is there something so much deeper underneath? And the reality is Dodd-Frank put an end to that. That's right. It was that point at some point in 07, 08. That's why the debt crisis was so critical. Yeah, and 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 you've heard, if, if, you're, if you're digging into this a little bit, you'll hear that some of these other kind of ancillary companies that are in, involved in cryptocurrency in various ways. They're having some struggles in different ways. And all, all, all that is kind of interconnected. Those companies were all loaning each other money and doing it. But that, but that is a, a separate system. So it's not like 
that system has some big, you know, ripple effect into the actual American banking system. Well, I hope that's been a good answer for Sam. And I hope we've, uh, you know, again, I wish he could, you know, call us at this point, but we can't. And the reality is we thank you, Sam, for that. Thank you for anybody. If you got a question for us, type Jim, J-I-M, to the text line at 901-683-0989 or send it to Talk Money at Shoemaker Financial. And it, by the way, if you miss the show or you don't get all the show, just simply type in to go to a podcast where you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, type in Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker, listen to the podcast. We appreciate that very much. That's how you can get all the show in case you missed part of it today. Now, Scott, Steve said it, and I was, I'm thinking about this cryptocurrency and the momentum that we've seen in the last five, five years. Following the herd is really a big fundamental when it comes to literally understanding some basics when it comes to investing. Don't follow the herd. Well, I think, you know, that comes from, you know, we talk about the twin fears. We, we hit loss aversion earlier, that fear of loss, but there's always also that fear of missing out, right? It's like you see everybody making money around you like, I need to jump in on this too. And, and that can be a very, very dangerous investment strategy long term because a lot of times you may be jumping in on the, the trade or the idea or the asset at the time when it's, you know, it's kind of run its course and, and it's going to, you know, reverse course and go the other way. So it's not a, you know, it's more of an emotional, emotional decision. And again, following the herd, uh, we always say the herd can gain a lot of steam right before it runs off a cliff. So well, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that's, that's a big disaster if that happens now. But now when you talk about following the herd and you kind of said the word, and I am asking both of you, emotions and biases, as we'd use the word biases, emotions really play into this. Now, guys, we talk a lot about emotions and in investing. What's the thing you would say, Scott, to someone that lets their emo or their emotions begin to get really overwhelmed and, and kind of over overreactive? Well, you know, we always say these things like don't get emotional or don't panic. Well, that's hard to do when you're in the midst of the crisis, right? So, you know, I do say emotionals are the, emotions are the enemy of any good investment strategy. We say that a lot on the program. And I think that you have to put procedures and processes in place to keep those emotions in check. That's hard to do, but you're yep. right. Procedures and processes are extremely important. And if you've got questions for these guys, let me just tell you, you can reach out to Steve or Scott, 901 757 5757. Any question you've got for them, you probably don't want it to be on the radio program or the podcast, that's fine. Ask them 901 757 5757. Steve, bias. Yeah. Anchoring. That's a, I like it, uh, and it's one that I can identify with because it's so easy to do, and I want your explanation of it. Yeah, well, as I get into that, Scott, what you just said, it just reminds me. I was talking to my wife the other day, and she said, oh, I feel this. You know, I'm feeling this about this, and, and my immediate man response was, well, you shouldn't feel that way. <laughs> so, like, right. Which has got to be the dumbest thing. You figure I'd learn this by now, but yeah, like, How you know, you been married uh, yeah. <laughs> not long enough, evidently. Uh, hadn't sunk in. Uh, no, but this is so, so all these emotions, they, they get us all, but um, anchoring. So anchoring, an easy, an easy example with anchoring is um, if you think about home prices, about four or five months ago, they were at all time highs. I've had several folks or, or, or uh, more Mortgage rates were at all-time lows, kind of the, you know, they were the inverse, right? right? And so people come in and they'll say, well, I kind of want to buy a house, but, you know, interest rates are twice as high as they were. And the question is, is that really relevant? Like, where they were 
is where they were. Or, you know, I had stock XYZ and it was up at $200 a share and now it's $150 a share. You know, I want to get out of it, but I'm not going to sell it till it gets to $200 a share. Right. The, those are the price, and it sounds weird to an investor a lot of times, but the price is almost irrelevant. It's what's it really worth, right. right? And so, like, the home thing is such a good one because you know when you list your home, you always list it about 20% more than you think you can actually sell it. <laughs> because if they're going to negotiate off, the, you, know, you just want them to negotiate off a high number, right. not a low number. And so, that's, that's what anchoring is. It's, it's being stuck on a number and not using rational, fundamental analysis to say what's it actually worth. And, yeah, I, I, you know, and I see this a lot with people where, you know, when we, we're, when we experience upside volatility, which nobody gets upset no, about. Bro, no, no, no. But when we see upside volatility and maybe they got a statement last month where their account was elevated a little bit, they get the, the next statement and it's down. And in their mind, they're down. And that's and, when they call. And you have to go back and point out, no, you're actually up uh. for the year. Yes, you came down from that high water mark a little bit. And, and I think that, that goes away. And, and that's just human nature. We look at that statement. We see that balance. And that is our balance at that point. That's that's so. the key right there. Yeah, I mean, and, and and some of that, I mean, it's fed by if you listen to, um, you know, like financial press. There's all this. Yeah, I remember the old commercial about know your number and all this stuff. Everybody <laughs> gets fixed on all these things. And and one of the big things that I think our job is as a financial advisor is is really to help clients figure out what is the actual thing you should be thinking about. Right. Because the the actual account balance or the actual value of a particular investment you have really probably is not the most important thing. Wow, that's great. Fundamentals of investing and behavior biases, guys. What a great program. You've done a super job. Most common, loss aversion. I think the best one I've got is hindsight. Boy, I tell you what, we always try to look in the rearview mirror to make a decision. So great ideas. Thank you so much, guys, for doing that. I want to thank Larry Lloyd also for being a part of the program. If you want to reach out to Larry, you can do that. 901-729-2931. Great organization if you'd like to make a financial gift to the Memphis Leadership Foundation. Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, thank you guys. Appreciate you very much. Thank, thank you very you much. Man. If you want to talk to them, of course, 901-757-5757. You can find our show, as I've said before, Talk Money on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it very much. And if you have questions, you can always type them to JIM to the text line, 901-683-0989, or send them to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com. Next week, my guest, we're going to talk about securing from Securian Financial. Katrina Shaneman, she's going to talk about answers, your questions about long-term care. Ted Miner is going to talk about Social Security. And Jason Harrington and Scott's going to talk about getting financially fit for 2023. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 9. So be sure to join us. I want to thank our producer, Maximilian, and guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production and marketing assistant, Laura Norsworthy, compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong, and Kimberly Holtus. We appreciate you guys very much. Thank you. And again, we're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. 
Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.